Welcome to Buzzed with Brian. I am your host, Brian. We're going to talk about beer, the history, and drinking. Hey there, beer fans. Welcome back to part two of the IPA series. That's right, we did part one in episode 025 only a few weeks back, and here we are picking up with part two. I am very excited to dive into today's episode for you all and pick up where we left off, but first, we are sponsored by the Dewey Decimal System. That's right, we are going to find a very overly complicated way to categorize this episode in line with all of my other episodes. Just kidding, this is going to be episode 029, no surprises. Along with the continuation of the history on the India Pale Ale today, we also are going to feature one brewery that is Mankato Brewery out of Mankato, Minnesota, and their Mad Butcher IPA. So looking forward to trying that one for the very first time, and now, on to the show. Okay, part two of the India Pale Ale. Very excited to get back on the mic and talk about this style more. Last time in the characteristics of this style, we talked about the English, the original version, but today we are going to focus a little bit more on the American-styled India Pale Ale. There are some subtle differences here. To start, the ABV is going to be a little higher on average compared to the English counterpart. That's right, the American IPA will range anywhere from the low 6s to 7.5%. Of course, there are such things out there as a double IPA and triple IPA, an imperial IPA, things you may see on some labels which will kind of go north of 7.5%, but your standard traditional American-styled India Pale Ale, low 6s to 7.5%. The IBU will also be a little higher compared to the English counterpart as well. The bitterness is a little more pronounced in this style and can range anywhere from 50 IBUs to 70 IBUs traditionally. Of course, you're saying, hey Brian, I've seen plenty of things over 70. Of course, there's lots of IPAs out there that exist north of that, even north of 100 IBUs, which is insane bitterness. Um, Additionally, another difference between the American counterpart and the English counterpart is our American hop varieties that we use in our beers can, can give a lot different taste notes. The American IPA is characterized by typically a floral, fruity, citrus, piney, or even resinous flavor from all of those hop varieties, and again, will give a much more defined and distinctive bitterness. So with that, that kind of wraps up the style characteristics for the American Pale Ale. And of course, this beer has continued to be the top-selling beer in you know supermarkets and liquor stores everywhere as far as um, other beer styles go across the states. And it is the most entered category at the Great American Beer Festival for more than a decade now. So with that, let's get into today's history and pick up where we left off for part two. All right, so we are about to dive in. And as I said earlier, episode 025 is part one of this series. So if you have not listened to that yet, or it's been a few weeks and you just want a refresher, maybe take a pause on this episode and go back and listen to episode 025. Um, But a quick recap on some of the topics that we talked about in the history section there was, where did the IPA start from, right? We talked a little bit about Burton-upon-Trent in England and how that town started to, you know, where it started, how it came to be, and how the brewing history kind of started to develop there. 
Last time, I believe I mentioned that the pale ale style was starting to gain a lot of popularity heading into the late 1700s, and it arrived for the very first time in India around the 1780s. Uh, moving into the 1800s, we saw a huge continuation of the rise of Burton-upon-Trent and the ales that were produced there. In fact, by the 1870s, Burton was producing 2.7 million barrels of beer annually, and Bass, the big brewery there, was the biggest brewery in the world at the time. I mean, that's just bananas if you think about it. 2.7 million barrels. If you remember, I said this town was not very big, very average in size. And for perspective, in 2021, all American craft brewers nationally, all of them, produced 24.8 million barrels combined. So obviously, this little town of Burton-upon-Trent was producing a ton of beer per capita that was getting shipped across all over the place. Uh, we also talked about last time why there was even a need. Why was this beer being brought out to all these different places? And that's pretty much where we left off, right? The journey that the East India Trading Company was taking and about to make and how that really affected this beer and made it such a distinct style. So with that, we will start with the journey. Now, when we talk about this journey, we can all type in on Google or pull up our manual map and say, wow, there is a lot of blue space between England and India. And how on earth did these ships, these sailing ships get that far, right? We're not talking about big freighters with big powered engines. We're talking about taking the journey on the seas and letting the wind take it where it may. That being said, the brewers of Burton-upon-Trent knew that the deck was stacked against them and that they had to create a beer that was going to be sustainable to make the journey there. Not only is this a lot of miles to cross on open water, but the amount of time that it's going to take them to get there, and it could be so unpredictable with weather and maybe they catch a dry spell of wind and you're grounded somewhere for quite some time. So the thought was that they were going to throw a bunch of hops and try to up the ABV for two, two different reasons, right? The hops actually will start to act as a natural preservative for the beverage at hand, as well as bumping up the ABV will kind of create a more toxic environment for any potential um, other harmful bacteria or things that might infect and spoil the beer. So let's talk about this journey a little bit more in detail and exactly where they needed to go. I think most of us imagine a ship coming out of the UK sailing south past Portugal and Spain. They arrive at the western coastline of Africa and will continue to just kind of hug along the shoreline all the way down to the southern tip of South Africa and turning toward India. Well, that could not be more wrong. Or I should say the start of the journey may be true. However, the ship isn't going to round the northwest cape of Africa and hug the shoreline. It's actually going to shoot towards Brazil. And I know in our minds that it seems like it's, you know, it's thousands of miles east as we picture our mental map. However, if you really look at it and orientate yourself looking like, you know, as you would as the captain of the ship, Brazil is fairly due south. Um, in addition to that, the North Atlantic trade winds will blow you toward that direction and the current coming out of South Africa is also pushing north. So it can make that journey really difficult if you want to try to hug the coastline of Africa all the way down. So ships are going to take the easy way out and they're actually going to sail towards south america and follow those trade winds once they get there they're going to hopefully be out of the way of that north pushing current from south africa and be able to turn towards the cape of good hope and finally the ship will make a trek across the indian ocean and traverse towards their final destination 
Now, all of you wake back up. <laughs> Just making sure I still have you here. You all are probably saying, great, thanks for the geography lesson there, Brian. What does this have to do with the beer? So I think it's important to have this mental map of just how long this journey is and geographically where the ship is crossing. So lots of changes are occurring to the beer as it's being stored in the ship. Speaking of that, the beer it ha- makes a great ballast. Um, it, you know, is a heavy object that's put in the bottom of a ship to help increase the stability of the vessel. So the beer was stored at the lowest point of the vessel. And you may think, hmm, basements are cool. It must be cool down there too. And this got, has to be the coolest portion of the ship. However, remember the journey, right? The geography here, as we're making two crossings of the equator. It doesn't matter how cool or how hot it is down there. The water temperature surrounding the trip is going to dictate that. So the surrounding water leaving England would start in the low 50s. As you cross the equator for the first time heading towards the Brazilian coast, um, it would jump up to the upper 80s. It will come back down again as it goes a little more south into the southern hemisphere and approaches South Africa. And it will be in the upper 60s. And then it will climb again as it continues to cross the equator and make its way towards the Indian subcontinent. So why is this important? Well, let's keep in mind here that most ale yeasts will get fairly active around 71 to 72 degrees. So as it's making these equatorial crossings, the yeast, if there's any left in the barrel or any wild yeast on the ship or, you know, surrounding the hull, it can really wreak havoc on this beer or it can transform it into something really, really special, right? So Once this yeast is getting active, it's going to produce esters, both of desirable and undesirable flavors. So now let's go bigger picture here and just remind ourselves that if we combine this extra yeast activity, creating these new flavors, also with the kind of natural rocking of the ship back and forth, back and forth, this beer is sloshing around in the barrel and soaking up all of that flavor, as well as all of the salty sea air being combined that the end product of what people experienced as an India Pale Ale is probably nothing compared to what we have nowadays. And there's really no way to better replicate that process than putting a barrel on a ship and just taking it on the journey and seeing what happens. Of course, there's a lot of risk with that. And the casks back then also were at risk, right? They had been built to withstand any added pressure from extra fermentation. They also had a porous vent plug that would allow for some gas release, but even with those measures, there's plenty of reports from anywhere of 5-10% to of casks exploding on the journey over. So I can't say I would recommend anyone to try to, um, you know, let alone drag a whole barrel of beer through customs country to country as you're on your ship, but also get there in the end. And that actually brings me to give a quick shout out to Pete Brown again, as I mentioned in episode 025, who wrote Hops and Glory, One Man's Search for the Beer That Built the British Empire, that he did just that. He tried his best to create a modern day replication of that journey. And you'll have to read the book yourself to find out if the beer made it or and what maybe or maybe it didn't taste like when he got, got to India. So thank you again, Pete, for providing a lot of the information for today's episode. So with that, I think we're going to transition. That is the journey of the original IPA and how the journey affected that beer and what it could potentially have tasted like. We will shift gears and now talk about the American IPA journey and just how did this become such a dominant style in our modern day beer drinking society. So as we advanced into the 20th century, um, the British Pale Ales to India really started to slow down. The Industrial Revolution progressed globally and India became less important as a foreign market. 
Uh, shipping rates of beer also became really pricey, and other spirits such as French brandy and the creation of tonic water made gin increasingly popular. At the time, as the IPA was fading globally, there were some variants of the India Pale Ale in the U.S. in the late 1800s and early 1900s, but of course the onset of World War I brought on some brewing restrictions, then followed by Prohibition nearly bringing the IPA style to extinction. And we fast forward to the 1970s and 80s at the start of the American craft beer movement, and that's when the invention of the American Pale Ale came about and the IPA started to become revitalized. Of course, the APA, the American Pale Ale, I, my very first episode way back in 001, please check that out. Um, I would love for you to you know, hear the story of what I talked about with Anchor Brewery's Liberty Pale Ale and Sierra Nevada's Pale Ale. And these are thought to be the pioneers of the American IPA style as well. Additionally, Sierra Nevada brewed a celebration ale in the early 80s that could be considered one of the first IPAs. Through the 80s, there were also a few more notable potential firsts um, in the Northern California and Pacific Northwest region. Almost all of them were utilizing at the time relatively new Cascade Hop for its wonderful citrus grapefruit and pine bitterness characteristics, so right on brand with the American IPA style we talked about earlier in the episode. And as we move forward into the 90s, brewers were starting to revitalize this old English style. However, the focus then wasn't put on beer aging and surviving a long journey, but rather hop freshness. That's right. We want something fresh tasting and want to utilize all these wonderful hops being created in the Pacific Northwest and Northern California. When they first started out, most IPAs created had an extreme bitterness, like a pain-inducing bitterness. Um, Brewers were just trying to throw as much hops in there and try to create that traditional recipe of like, oh, hops were just thrown in there by, you know, by the gallon. And they wanted to create a really bitter beer. Um, To help complement that, of course, though, they created a heavy sweet malt base that was intended to kind of balance things out. So that's what the IPAs of the 90s looked like. Of course, things continue to develop and brewers get a little bit more savvy and they're starting to really figure out the science behind hops and how to unlock all the incredible flavors and aromas that we have with IPAs of today. Moving into the 2010s, brewers really continue to figure it out and how to release and enhance these now thiols created by the hop oils. Thiols is definitely a uh, a very hot topic in the IPA market these days in the brewing market. I'm like I said, not a brewer myself, so I can't speak too much on the science, but if you know a little bit about thiols, you're going to know a little bit about brewing and hop additions. <laughs> Um, Additionally, the hop market has also grown a lot in the last 20 years to offer a ton of specific varieties coming from not just the U.S., but all over the globe. So it's really no wonder how this style has transformed into the fixture that it is in American Craft Brewery. Now that wraps up all I have to offer in this two-part series of IPA history. I know I probably only scratched the surface here, and like I said, there's some great resources out there, including Pete Brown's book, And obviously, if there's things that you still want answered, I'll do my best to answer them. Just feel free to write me a message. But with that, we'll move on to our brewery that we have for today. As mentioned previously, the brewery we have today is Mankato Brewery. And Mankato Brewery is in Mankato, Minnesota. For those of you who don't know, Mankato is about an hour and a half, mostly south and a little west of the Twin Cities, and it's just kind of fairly just west of Rochester, Minnesota, so the two bigger cities in Minnesota there. And like I said, founded in 2012, and it was the first production brewery in Mankato since 1967, 
talk about a long brewery production drought that Mankato had. I'm sure the people there were at, you know, just full smiles when they opened their doors. Uh, the founder or the co-founder is Tim Tuppy, and he moved to Mankato for school in 1987. That's right. That's where Mankato State is as well. He was a home brewer for years leading up to the starting of his brewery. And some cool kind of history on Tim here is that the home brewing influence actually stemmed from his great, great, one more time, third, third great grandfather that started his own first brewery in New Prague, Minnesota, which is also just south of the Twin Cities in 1884. So brewing was in his blood, I guess. <laughs> and Tim has really turned Mankato into Mankato Brewery into quite the stop. It produces a lot of beer and they do a lot of really neat things with the community. In regards to that, one of the cool things I wanted to highlight about the brewery that they did recently was they had a collaboration beer with Lupulin Brewery and they made the Hero Hazy IPA. Now, the proceeds of this beer were going to go towards the Movember Foundation and help support one of their uh, common friends that they had that had been battling cancer for a few years. And they wanted to continue to help bring awareness to men's health issues as the Movember Foundation is all about that. Um, not only physical health and wellness issues, but also mental health issues as well. So for me, I think that's awesome because Movember is something that I've actively participated in and donate to. So I think it's a great foundation. And I think that's really neat that this brewery wanted to um, kind of channel that avenue and really harness some good for the world out there. So with that, we are going to move on to the beer that we have for today. To kick things off, as mentioned, we are featuring the Mad Butcher IPA from Mankato Brewery. This beer is weighing in at 6.8% ABV, and it has a rating of 60 IBUs, so definitely a little higher on the bitter end, but still well and appropriate within the realms of an India Pale Ale, especially in American style. The can itself, we are drinking out of a 12-ounce little small guy today. And on the front, we have, indeed, fact, a very deranged-looking butcher with a chicken in one hand, sausage links around his shoulder, and a giant meat cleave as he's kind of carving into a turkey. So without further ado, let's carve into this beer. On to the pour. Okay, so this beer is pouring out a very beautiful pale golden color. There is a slight cloudiness to it. This is not a, a hazy or New England style IPA by any means, but there's a little bit of cloudiness in here. Um, and we're also getting a good amount of foam settling on the top of this, probably about a half inch to a full inch of foam here. And the aroma coming off of it is very abundant, even with my nose not quite up to the glass. So let's get in for a closer smell. Yeah, wow. Okay, so we, we definitely have a lot of really bright citrus notes. Um, let me get in for one more smell. Yeah, sort of a lemon-esque citrus is what I'm getting, and it's mixed in with a really earthy, kind of grassy tone. So with that, let's get into this first sit. Hmm. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, one more. Hmm. Oh, that's actually quite quite tasty this is really nicely done so i think my first impression here i mean th the bursts of citrus are coming through it's got a really juicy palate on this thing i mean uh, almost a mouth-watering palate and uh midway let me check in real quick mm -hmm. yeah midway you know there's it sort of shifts to a bitterness across the tongue and gives way to more of a pine as opposed to that grassiness that i had on the nose 
I would say even further, there's almost some like almost rose petal like floral notes on the finish, and it's really quite pleasant all around. The body of the spear, I mean, this thing has let me know. Hey man, I've got a little texture, a little oomph here, and I'm going to fill you up. So uh, yeah, medium to full body, and it's got, again, that really juicy palate. I mean, my mouth is watering just getting through this thing. The balance of this beer, though, it, it does actually have some natural cereal flavors that are providing a bit of that maltiness, but it is true to the style of an American IPA. It is hop through and through. Drinkability, I think this may be more of a challenging one to a new IPA drinker due to that apparent hop bitterness. However, I think it's very approachable to any casual IPA drinker out there, and you probably will enjoy this one. Uh, looking further at the can here, actually, it's got Citra and Mosaic hops in it, which are two of my favorite hop varieties, and I think it's just a, a dynamite pairing. Those two play really well together, so I think this will be a very familiar tasting beer to a lot of people out there. Um, I think with the citrus notes on this, it could be enjoyed on a hot summer day around the grill, campfire, or heck, even on the water. So I'm going to keep drinking this, and we'll get on to this rating. All right, so 0 to 5, we have our rating of our second IPA of the series here, the Mad Butcher. And I really enjoyed this beer. Like I said, the Citra Mosaic Hop, those are two hops that I really like that I mentioned that are in this beer. And I think it's a dynamite combo. I think this is a really well done thing. Um, obviously, there's going to be lots of breweries that have a very similar rendition to this. So I think it's not anything wowing or new to me. But for what it is, it's really a great tasting IPA. And for that reason, I think I'm going to give it a 3.75 out of 5 for the rating. So that's a review. All right, beer fans, that wraps up today's episode. Really thank you all for coming on this journey with me and listening to the vast history of the IPA over this episode and 025. Also, thanks so much to listen to what we had for Mankato Brew today and the wonderful Mad Butcher IPA. Of course, if you're looking to find their beers out in the wild, you can find them in Minnesota, northern Iowa, South Dakota, and the uh, Sioux Falls area, mostly there. So, plots of places to get Mankato Brewery's beer. As always, keep your eyes peeled. We will continue some more IPA stuff down the road as we kind of go into the sub-branches of the style. But for now, this is what we have and if you want to have any other follow-up questions or any concerns or you're like hey brian i want to contest what you said here feel free to write in at buzzedwithbrian at gmail.com as always give the social media a follow we are going to stay very active on there with upcoming podcast information and beer stuff in general um, go ahead give me a follow a subscribe or give me a rating or a review here on your favorite listening platform as always can't wait to get back on the mic again here soon and cheers beers <laughs>